following message is by Dr. Ryan Rippey, president of the Cornerstone Seminary in Vallejo, California, guest preaching at Creekside Bible Church located in Cupertino, California. Well, it is wonderful to be with you this morning, and as Pastor Cliff mentioned, uh, I've known him for these 14 years and uh, been grateful for his ministry there at the seminary. I was part of the first graduating class in 2007, so I started in the first group, and I was so grateful for all of these pastors that would come and train me for pastoral ministry, and it, it has been invaluable, and now the privilege of being the president of the seminary and uh, wanting to see our Bay Area transformed by the gospel. Amen. I grew up here. I'm a third-generation Northern California boy, grew up in Vallejo, and I love the Bay Area, and I want to see us train pastors and ministers and missionaries and leaders that will go out and transform this community, this Bay, Northern California and beyond for the sake of Christ. And don't we need it? We desperately need it. And so uh, I just want to turn to John 3.16. And I want to share a passage that I know that you all know very well. When I had the privilege of going on to do my PhD at Southern Seminary, I wanted to write on God the Father, the person and work of the Father. Because in my pastoral ministry, I noticed that there were a number of misconceptions about God. In particular, the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. And I think the reason why I think a number of these misconceptions have happened is because our families are so broken. Many of us grew up with fathers that were distant or perhaps wrathful, and we think, wow, that God of the Old Testament, God the Father, He's just ready and waiting to nuke us off the planet if we just out Him. If we just get Him angry enough, He's just going to wipe us out. See, there's misconceptions about the Father. This uh, even embedded in the idea of substitutionary atonement, there's some who would say, well, the Father needed the Son to turn away His anger. You see, because the Father is a God of wrath and the Son's a God of love, and, and the Father needed the Son to turn away His anger so that the Father could accept us. That's not what we're going to see this morning in the text. The Father initiates he so loved the world that He gave His Son. Others have called this idea of God killing His Son on our behalf cosmic child abuse and impugn the name of God. And I do think pastorally it's attached to so many unhealthy views of earthly fathers. Fathers who are cold and detached. Even when they're there, they're not there. Or perhaps fathers who are angry who are abusive, or fathers who are absent altogether and not even in the home. Well, I want you to know this morning, God the Father is not a father like that. Human fatherhood is always flawed, and no human father is sinless. Even Jesus in Matthew 7, 11, said our Father in heaven is not like that. He said if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Father who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask Him? You see, the Father is more willing to give than we could even imagine. And at the heart of this passage in John 3.16 is the Father's 
character. And this is what I want you to consider this morning. I want you to consider three facets of the beauty of God the Father as a generous king. And the reason I want you to consider this is so that you would draw near to him as a father, you would delight in him, you would enjoy his presence, and in doing so, you would worship him. This is what the Father desires. He is drawn near to you in His Son by the Spirit so that you could draw near to Him and be in His presence forever. Adopted into His family. Rights as a child of God in the kingdom of God forever. This is good news. You see, Ephesians 2.18 says, it is through Christ by the Spirit that we have access to the Father. We're able to draw near to him. And so this morning, what I would love more than anything is that if you have an idea of God the Father, like you know you can approach him in your head, but you have this hesitancy to draw near to God as your Father this morning, that you would be so convinced that he loves you and he is for you in Christ, that it would become instinctual so that when the cares of life weigh you down, when the burdens of sin tempt you and cause you to think that you are cast out of the kingdom of God, that you would remember you have a Father in heaven who has loved you with an eternal, infinite, immeasurable love, and you would draw near to Him. You wouldn't run from Him when trials hit. You wouldn't pull away, but you would flee to your Father in heaven and you would find grace and mercy to help in your time of need. This is what we need Well, let's read this passage together. Again, John 3, starting in verse 16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The first thing I want you to consider this morning in verse 16 is consider the giver. Consider the giver. For God so loved the world. This is God the Father. He gives His Son. He so loves the world. It demonstrates the intensity of His love. You see, this is more than friendliness. This is more than openness. This is even more than pity. The greatness of the Father's love comes shining through the lengths that the Father is willing to go for the sake of this world. He so loved the world, He gave a Son. Now who is this God, the Father? Well, James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Throughout the Scriptures, we see titles and descriptors given to the first person of the Trinity. He's called Almighty Maker of Heaven and Earth in Acts 4 when the saints pray to Him. In the Gospels, Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father who is in Heaven. 
He's called the Lord of heaven and earth, the living God, the most high God, the living Father, the Holy Father. Paul, in his epistles, writes that he's the creator. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the eternal God, the only wise God, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts, the Father of glory, the invisible God, the living and true God, the God of peace, the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the blessed and eternal, sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. We could go on. The author of Hebrews says he's the majesty on high and the majesty in heaven. And in Revelation, he's called the Lord God Almighty who reigns. Hallelujah. This is who our Father is in heaven. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one who made us. He's the one who has rights over us. And the amazing thing is, Scripture says he didn't need to do that. There's no need in him. He doesn't have creature needs. And yet, in his great love and for his good pleasure, he made the heavens and the earth through his Son and by his Spirit so that it would be a stage upon which he would display his glory and his love and his majesty to us. And here in John 3.16, consider the giver. God so loved the world he gave. You see, he freely gives out of his love. No one twisted his arm. He's not under compulsion. In fact, just a few verses later in verse 35, we see that the Father loves the Son. And he gives. Verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So the Father loves the Son over a couple chapters later in chapter 5, verse 20. The Father loves the Son and shows Him all He Himself is doing. And then in chapter 6, we see that the Father gives a people to the Son. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. You see, the Father loves the Son. The Father gives a people to the Son. And over in John's epistle, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, we see this wonderful reality that the Father loves us. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. It was revealed among us. Well, what is it? Verse 9, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John Stott says the sending of God's Son was both the revelation of His love. In other words, this is how He showed His love. And indeed, the very essence of love itself. This is love, verse 10. It's not our love that's primary, but God's. It's free, it's uncaused, and it's spontaneous. And all of our love is but a reflection of His and a response to it. You see, the Father freely gives out of His love. This is at the heart of God. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And the Father gives a people to the Son. 
And the son goes and dies for those people and he brings those people back to God. And the author of Hebrews says, the son, as it were, stands before the father and sings out the psalm, Psalm 22, here am I and the children you've given me. And he presents us back to the father. And, and this is the father's initiative. This wasn't someone twisting the Father's arm. This isn't a God who's wrathful and angry and so hate, so, so unapproachable that none would dare draw near. This is a God who wants you and I to draw near to Him, and so He makes a way for us to draw near through His Son. And He sends His Son into the world to be our sacrifice and our substitute. The word John uses in 1 John is propitiation. A satisfaction for sin. Jesus filled the righteous requirement of God's character. He satisfied the righteous demands of God's character and God's law so that we could draw near. He died in our place on our behalf as a substitute that whoever believes in him would never perish but have eternal life. Life with God forever. You see, this is at the heart of God. Turn back to John 17. I want you to see this verse because if I were writing the Bible, and I didn't, I would think that this verse says too much. John 17, 23. I, I would think that this is almost blasphemy. Listen to what Jesus says here. This is in the upper room right before he's about to be betrayed and to be crucified, and he's praying for us, all those who would believe in his name. And in John 17, 23, he says, I in them and you in me, he's talking to the Father, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and then listen to what he says, loved them even as you loved me. Now time out, how could God love me as much as he loves his son? I'm a sinner. I was a rebel. I didn't want God. It doesn't even seem capable that that sentence could make any sense. How in the world could Jesus say that the Father has loved me, Ryan Rippey, as much as he's loved his beloved Son in whom he's well pleased? Well, the only answer is in the gospel. Because we've been united to Christ by the Holy Spirit so that when the Father looks at us, beloved child of God, He sees the righteousness and the perfections of His Son. This is good news. Consider the giver. The Father so loved the world, He gave His Son so that you could be united to Him so that when the Father looks at you, He could say, I love you as much as I love my Son. Don't ever think that you're a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. Don't ever think that you're just one sin away of being kicked out of the family. Don't ever think that you're unwanted or unneeded in the household of God. The Father in heaven loves you with an infinite love. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians 3, oh, that you would know how high and wide and deep and long the love of God is. Why? so that you'd be filled with all of his fullness. He longs for you to know this. He wants you to know this so that you would draw near to him. Consider this giver who freely gives out of his love. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. 
It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. That's the love of God. And what is amazing is it's not because there was something intrinsically lovable in us. Look at the object of his love in John 3.16. Turn back there. It's not because we compelled him because there was something in us for him to love. No, it says God so loved the world. This world, this fallen and rebellious world that does not and cannot love God. Look at verse 19. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In fact, this world is so broken and fallen that we're told not to love anything in it. And yet God loves this world. And He loved it in such a manner, in such a way, that He gave a son. You see, this world is broken, isn't it? It's fallen, it's broken, it's filled with addictions. Look at the drug epidemic. It's filled with violence, school shootings abounding cases of suicide on the rise. It's filled with abuse. It's filled with sorrow and grief and hopelessness. And the Father in heaven so loved this fallen world that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish along with this world but would have eternal life forever. You see, the heart of the Father, Ezekiel 18.23 says, Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? What was there in the world that God should love it? It's not because it's so big or because it includes so many people. As I said, this world is so wicked, we're told not to love it or anything in it in 1 John chapter 2. Well, how come God can love this world and we're not to? Well, because so often when we love this world, we love it with a selfish love of participation in the fallenness and the sin. But God loves it with a selfless, costly love of redemption. Listen to John MacArthur in his book, The Love of God. He who is love sent his precious son to die as an atonement for sin. And if your sense of fair play is outraged by that, good. It ought to be shocking. It ought to be astonishing. It ought to stagger you through. Think it through and you'll begin to get a picture of the enormity of the price God paid to manifest His love. Think on this, brothers and sisters. Even though we're a part of this wicked and fallen world and there's nothing good in us that forced the Father to love us, he did love us. He set His affection upon us. He determined to love us before the foundation of the world, and He gave His Son at the high point of the ages so that we could draw near to Him. And He fixed the value of our worth at the cross so that we can't say we're worthless. I love how the Gettys wrote it in a recent song, My worth is not in what I own. My worth is not in what I own, not in strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. And then the last verse, 
two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. You see, we're unworthy, but we are not discarded, worthless garbage on the ash heap of society. The Father has fixed our value at the cross, and He has loved us with an everlasting love, and He considers us to be a part of His family now in Christ. Draw near to us. We'll be with Him forever. Jesus, He said, I call you my friends. I would be content to be a servant in the kingdom of God. I would content to be a day laborer in the kingdom of God. And the Father says, no, I've loved you so much. You're not merely going to be a servant. Yes, you will be a servant, but you're going to be so much more. You're going to be more than a citizen. You're going to be a child with inheritance rights, seated in the heavenlies with Christ, at his right hand, ruling and reigning over all things. And I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. I grew up in Vallejo. (laughs) This is the good news of the gospel. I mean, this is why Paul writes in Romans 8, what are we going to say to this? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely with him gave him up for us all, how will he not with him, Jesus, give us everything else? Eye is not seen and ear is not heard nor entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. Hallelujah, what a day that's gonna be. Consider the giver. I know we look at John 3, 16 and we think of the glory of Jesus and he is glorious and he is supreme, and he is sufficient, and he is our Savior, and our Lord, and our King, and we love him. But how many times have we looked at this verse and not thought about the Father? The Father who has loved this world, that he gave his beloved Son, his only begotten Son. Well, consider the giver. Second, I want you to consider the gift. What did he give? He gave his only begotten Son. It demonstrates the greatness of his gift. He gave us his best when we were at our worst. We sang it this morning, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. He gives his son. You see, and then he doesn't only give us his son, he pours out his spirit in the new covenant. And Galatians 4 says the spirit's ministry is to stir up family affections so that we cry out, Abba, Father, we should not live in the fear of a slave, but with the affection of a son and a daughter. And if you're living your Christian life here this morning with slavish fear toward God, he wants you to understand that you should have happy, confident, peaceful affection for him as your father. He gave his beloved son, and he gave his son and and he reveals the, the Son reveals the Father, John 1:14, full of grace and truth. And in his life and ministry, the Father pours out his spirit on the Son so that the Son can perform the Father's works and speak the Father's words. And in the crucifixion, he gives his Son to be our substitute, the Savior of the world. He is our propitiatory sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5. 
21, he made him, he the Father, made him the Son who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in his resurrection and exaltation, the Father raises the Son up from the dead, exalting the Son to his throne, granting the Son authority to rule over all the nations. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come behold the wondrous mystery. We sang it. Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. You see, at the cross, the Father's love's gone public. It's gone public to the world. You want to know how much I love you? Look at the cross. I gave you my son. I gave you my beloved son, my only begotten son. I gave you myself. None of us ever had such a son to give, Spurgeon says. Ours are the sons of men. His was the Son of God. The Father gave His other self, one with Himself. When the great God gave His Son, God gave Himself. For Jesus is not in His eternal nature less than God. And when God gave God for us, He gave Himself. What more could He give? God gave His all. He gave Himself. Who can measure this love? And He did this. He gave His Son in order to give us eternal life in the verse. John 17, 3, you know this. This is eternal life. That they know You, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. 1 John 3, 1-3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And the reason the world does not know us is it didn't know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. You want to have a motive for holiness? Look to the cross. Look to the gift of the Son that the Father gave. That we're children of God, and even though we don't yet know what that's going to be like, we see with our mind's eye by faith the glory and majesty and beauty of Christ. We see His supremacy and His sufficiency. And we hope in Him. And we know He's coming back. And we're going to see Him as He is and we're going to be like Him. And so we want to be pure just as He is pure. What a beloved thought. Consider the gift. Listen to just some of this blessings and realities that we have in Christ. We're made part of a new creation in Christ. We're a member of Christ's body. Brothers and sisters, as the local church, we're sons of God. And that word son in Galatians 3.26, it means you are the one who inherits everything. The firstborn heir. It's a technical term. And ladies, don't be too upset that God calls you sons because He calls us men the bride of Christ. And that's a wonderful reality because we're going to be with Him forever and there's going to be a party in heaven and a marriage and we're never going to be separated from our Savior. We are a person dressed for eternity with God. We have the righteousness of Christ. We're accepted in Christ. We're brought near to God. We're seated in the heavenly places. We're guaranteed freedom from condemnation. 
After all, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's made us a saint. He's made us one with all other Christians. We've been given credit for having died with him, having been buried with him, and having been raised with him, Romans says in Romans 6. And all of this is according to the purpose of the Father's will, Ephesians 1, 14. Consider this gift that we have in Christ from the Father. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus are ours. And the Father has blessed us with them. I just don't want to stop. It's just good news. Well, consider the offer. This is the third facet of the Father's beauty. Consider the offer. Back in John 3, 16, whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. It's an offer for anyone. Isn't that good news? It's an offer for anyone. Whoever believes, on Saturday, February 17th, 1739, George Whitfield made a decision to take to the open air and to preach to a group of coal miners in Kingswood. It was a district on the outskirts of Bristol. The men with their families had lived in squalor, in degradation, squandering their lives in drink and violence and sex. And no church nearby, they knew nothing of Christianity or its teachings. And Whitfield's description of his ministry at this time is a classic one. To visualize the scene, imagine this green countryside, piles of coal, squalid huts, a semicircle of unwashed faces with coal dust all over their faces. And here's what Whitfield says, having no righteousness of their own to renounce, they were glad to hear of a Jesus who was a friend of publicans and came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The first discovery of their being affected was to see white gutters made by tears which plentifully fell down their black cheeks as they came out of the coal pits. Hundreds and hundreds of them were soon brought under deep conviction which, as the event proved, happily ended in sound and thorough conversion. And the change was visible to all, though numbers chose to impute it to anything rather than the finger of God. And I can't help but hear my own story in these words. As I said, I grew up in Vallejo. I was the son of a refinery worker. I was a bully. I was filled with anger and a dear woman from Valley Bible Church in Pinole, California named Luella Ross shared the gospel with me at a summer camp. And I've been forever changed. Consider the offer. It's for anyone. It's also for those who are perishing that they would not perish but have eternal life. That's what verses 18 to 20 says. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. If you've not believed the gospel here this morning, you are condemned. You are perishing. You are headed to an eternity separated from God in what the Bible calls hell. But God so loves you, He gave His Son that if you believe in Him, you wouldn't perish but you would have eternal life. Come to Christ to perish. It means to be doomed to destruction in John 17. Verse 36 of John 3, it means the wrath of God remains on you forever. And if you reject this message this morning, you compound your guilt. You're doubly guilty since you haven't believed the message. You haven't believed what's been told to you. 
But the good news, this offer, that you would consider it, it's a gift that's received by faith. He says, whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> you don't have to do anything to receive this gift. Simply believe that Jesus died for your sins and was buried and rose again. And believing that he's your savior and bowing your knee to him as Lord, by faith you have eternal life. And you could have it right now. Come to Christ. Come to him. If you're weary and worn out from this world and the brokenness of your life, come to Christ and he will make you new. He will make you whole. He will give you life with the Father. See, to believe means to place your life and trust in Christ. Back in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, believe means to receive it. To those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And over in chapter 3, verse 21, to believe it means to come to the light. Children who've grown up in this church, You've heard this message hundreds of times, I'm sure. Maybe this morning God is telling you, come to me through my son. Believe in my son. Stop running and come to Christ. Verse 21 of John 3 says, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen his works have been carried out in God. If you want to do the true thing, come to the light. Believe in Jesus. Well, consider the implications. It's my last thought. Turn back over to John 17. That passage we looked at earlier. Listen to the implications of what it means to believe the gospel. Verses 21 and 22 in John 17. that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. And the glory you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. One of the implications of this is that we have unity. We're children of God. Another implication in verse 23 is that we're a witness to the world. He says, I and them and you and me that we may become perfectly one that the world may know you sent me and love them just as you love me. That we would, another implication is that we would be in the presence of the triune God forever seeing God's glory. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me. May be with me. What a wonderful thought. Where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. And then in verse 26, I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. Think of this implication here, Christian. You've believed this gospel. That means the love of God is in you by the Spirit. Romans 5 says the Spirit of God sheds abroad God's love in your heart. That means if people want to see the love of God, where do they turn to us? And our love for one another. They'll know you're Christians by the love you have for one another. Oh, that Creekside Bible would be salt and light in this community. People who worship technology 
People who worship the materialism of this world that they would see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ and they would believe. Oh, brothers and sisters, would you draw near to the Father this morning? He's drawn near to you in His Son. Consider the giver, your Father in heaven who gave this gift of His beloved Son so that whoever believes would never perish but have eternal life. And may we live as those who are loved. And may we love one another as a result. Father, thank you for this time and your word. I'm so grateful that you have loved me. I know I didn't deserve it. And yet, Father, you've been so kind and so good and so loving. I pray for those in this room. I don't know where they're at, Father. I'm not their pastor. But Father, you know, you're their Father in heaven. Some of them are going through deep waters and perhaps they've been tempted to think that you've pulled away from them, that you're not near them. Oh, Father, would you remind them that you're near to the brokenhearted? You're near to the humble and contrite in spirit. Those in sin, those who are hiding secret sins, Father, would they repent because they see how much you've loved them and given for them. You gave a son. How would you not with him freely give everything else? Those who don't know your son, Father, would you open their eyes to see the beauty of Christ? Would you give them eyes to see Christ for who he really is? That he is their Lord and their Savior and their King. And would they give their lives to him? Would they bow their knee in faith and repentance? Do this work in us today, this morning. Bless Creekside Bible Church. May you plant your spirit your lampstand among this church and may it be a great witness here in the South Bay, a place that desperately needs the gospel. Father, would you send revival? Would it come and go and spread through this church to the communities around? For the sake of Christ's glory and the sake of your name, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.